So have you, have you opened your Bibles to the book of Acts? All right, very good. This morning we were talking from Revelation chapters 10 and 11, and we ended on the idea that the church is the spirit-empowered witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning that we are the evidence that he is alive and that he's coming again. I really like that. I mean, I like both of those, but I don't know that I've articulated or said out loud that we're the evidence he's coming again. I don't know that that kind of makes me have a little, a little Mufasa moment every time. Uh, but there's something about the witness of the church, that Jesus is alive and that he's coming again. And uh, that, that witness is essential. But as we saw this morning, that witness is entirely dependent upon the church's anointing of the Holy Spirit. It is the, it, that is the, the, the work, the empowerment of the Spirit of God. So it's entirely fitting that having said that this morning, we come back tonight and we lean into that a little bit more. As a matter of fact, this morning we, we saw how John describes prophetically the power the, ch- the witnessing church should be exhibiting. Now, he's, he, of course, uses sim- Old Testament symbolic language about calling down fire and turning water into blood. Now, Jesus specifically told his disciples, do not call down fire and burn people up anymore. He, that's, that's Jesus' words. He said, no, no, no. He said, you know not what spirit you're of. That's not the kind of power, the type of power, but in terms of the, the measure." The amount, the, the dunamis, the explosive real power the church is supposed to exhibit, John the Revelator sees a powerful church. But the, 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 to, give, to give witness to the Lord Jesus that he is alive and is coming again is more than sentiment. It's more than a doctrinal assertion. It's more than sentiment. And it's even more than a, than a shout. It's more than a, a wonderfully emotive service. Uh, all of those things can be part of what we do. We should shout. The old Pentecostals used to get together just so that they could shout. That was what they said. Let's just get together and shout. And they just shouted until something happened. And it worked. Uh, it did. It was, uh, but, they had, but there was faith in their shout, right? Uh, uh, the other thing is, of course, in, in, in Pentecostal services, the Lord gives us, gives us emotions, and our, oftentimes people respond to the, the wind of the Spirit, the flow of the Spirit, and our emotions are engaged, our passions are engaged, we are fully alive, we have physical and emotional responses that are subjective to the objective reality of the Spirit. All of that is perfectly appropriate and good, and I suppose it's part of our testimony or part of our witness. But, but as we saw last month when we gathered, the, the intended expression, or I would say the prescribed uh, evidence, the prescription part of our testimony should be power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. There's something, something will happen to you and you will become something. That was last month, Acts 1-8. Something, each one of us are engaged in this or are called to be a part of this as a promise for every one of us. You shall, nodding your heads, yes, there's not an option there, you shall receive power. And in that, you will become, you will be my witnesses. You will be the living evidence that Jesus Christ is alive and coming back. Okay? Now, so you'll receive power. So uh, keeping, keeping that promise in mind, we'll talk about that a little bit more. We'll refer back to that when we talk about being filled and living filled here in a little bit. I have to admit my intention was a little bit more narrow as I began. And uh, the problem is, as I pray and meditate, particularly over this subject, uh, it, it, it quickly, well, like it rises, like, you know, in the oven. You know, it's, it swells like a ballpark frank and... Uh, and I start writing more and more things down until I can't recognize my notes anymore. And then I wish I were back home and could retype them, and then I can't, and so then I get frustrated. So, tonight our intention is to talk about being filled. Having said that Jesus said, we, you, you, everyone here is to receive power from the Spirit to be His witnesses. 
we're going to go to the next chapter and look at the, that initial experience of being filled and then expressing that. Being filled with the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, filled and then expressing that experience. That experience is most, most commonly associated with expression in the Scripture. We want to look at that tonight. We want to welcome that expression. We want to understand it. We want to exercise it. We want to understand at least two of the reasons why it's there. I'll say it ahead of time so that you know that expression is, uh, gives us assurance, but it's also exercise. It, it provides assurance, but it also is a gift, and we'll talk about both of those things as we go. All right, so now having said all of that, that we're in Acts chapter 1, and, and they, Jesus promises that all the things, and then right away, then they have a quick, a quick business meeting. They elect a new guy that we'd never hear from again, but it's the real deal. <laughs> Acts chapter 2 and, and verse 1, reading from the New American Standard, I'll just read the first four verses. That's my intent. Isn't that a refreshing change from two chapters? Don't, don't say amen. I'll hurt my feelings. Okay. Um, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And... <laughs> Luke is not afraid of the Kai. It's a K-A-I in the Greek. And, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. I, I am want to pause now because I am even reading things out loud. I get immediately distracted by what I see in the syntax. And since it's Sunday night, I shall. <laughs> I want you to see that, they, that they, they were all filled. We'll talk about that. And began to speak. That is, a, 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 I believe it's called an aggressive aorist. That is something that, that happened and then continued. It is the same kind of verb that you would use, Aaron, when we would say, and I, and I know it was a rough start, but um, you'll get it. Uh, but when you were born, you began to breathe. Now, you, you in particular had kind of a rough start, kickstart there. But you began to breathe. And for the most part, you haven't stopped. If you stop breathing, that's bad, right? Everybody in the room, at one point, you began to breathe. That's an aggressive aorist. That means it's something that, that had a beginning and it kept going. That's the kind of verb that is used here. They began to speak in other tongues. Don't read that. And some of our English uh, versions, I imagine, off, off the top of my head, I bet you I can think of one or two that might, that'll just say, and they spoke in tongues. That makes it sound like it was a unique and or a one-time uh, ecstatic experience. It was not a unique one-time ecstatic experience. It was the beginning of a volitional supernatural expression. Once in a while, it just sounds good coming out. <laughs> right, Bill? You just got to stop and go, oh, that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> okay? Uh, so there's that. So they began to speak, and listen, in, with other tongues, as the Spirit, and I hear what, this is why Big Dev likes that Nazab, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. They began and didn't stop doing something because the Spirit was continually giving them this ability to do so. They began to do something and kept going because what they re there was a supply from the Spirit that was continual. The Holy Spirit kept giving them 
the ability to do so. I'm so glad that that's later on in my notes because I'm too excited about it. I want to just talk about it right now. But he kept giving them. Someone say that. He kept giving them. He, it was a, he did not, he did not, he did not, and he does not uh, pop in and pop out. He, 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 this was God's plan for a long time. Jesus paid a big price for it, and he's not going anywhere. He came, and this was a, something that he continued to supply this, uh, them to do. All right. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Wonderful Jesus. Okay, here we go. Let's start at the beginning there and just unpack this to see if we can get as close to this as we can. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Okay, the day of Pentecost. Again, in this room, I look around, and I, and I probably am reminding you of what you know. But just in case, and for our massive viewing audience, let's, let's remind ourselves the day of Pentecost. That is a significant feast of the Jews at that time. There was at least three significant feasts. This, kind of, this may have been, you know, like second or third place in, in the big deal feasts. Uh, this was, the, of course, the big one, the big festival was 50 days prior to this Passover. Big deal, everybody there. This is 50 days later, and there are, there are two observations or two celebrations. Uh, but by the time we get to Second Temple Judaism in particular, that is those, that period of time several hundred years before you know, B.C. until just, and then, and then A.D., by the time you get to Second Temple Judaism, uh, Pentecost had really been in, the idea of Pentecost. This was a feast that really also celebrated the Sinai event. The Sinai event is the people say this carefully and slowly because this is good for our faith. The Sinai event is Israel redeemed. Delivered by the blood of a lamb, crossing, being delivered out of the place of bondage and slavery by the blood of that lamb, passing through even, if you will, the initial waters of baptism, if you will, and then, so essentially you have a people that have been purchased and dunked. They receive a gift. Unfortunately, a lot of contemporary evangelicalism likes to refer to the law as something that is, was just horrible. It, it, it was never intended to be that. It was, it was twisted and added and all kinds of things, not good. And there were some things that were not great about it. But the law as given from Yahweh was not a punishment. The law, the Sinai event, the giving of the law was a gift for their own good. And it wasn't like, well, this is for your own good, and it was a switch. No, it wasn't a figure of speech. It was actually for their own good. So the, what the, so the Sinai event, which was accompanied by incredible phenomena, and we'll look at that in just a moment. Remember the Sinai event is accompanied by this mountain shaking and fire from heaven descending upon this thing and smoke rising up. And then out of that phenomena comes a gift that when these people that were already redeemed and dunked for that matter, people that were already had been through blood and been through water, now they received a gift. In, that was given to them. They didn't earn it, and, and they, but it was given to them, and this would become the guiding, governing influence in their life and would be to them, should they walk in it, a tremendous source of blessing. Are we all together? That's the Sinai event. People that, let's just, let's just reach for the, the symbolism here. Born again and baptized in water people received a gift out of fire that would bless them 
guide them and govern them. And they celebrated this year after year. Year after year after year, at least by the time, I mean, I mean, post-exile, we're into the, the temple's been built, Herod's got this thing. So let's just say, that, I mean, this and, and post-Maccabean situation, let's just go for it, that, they, that we've got this a couple hundred years, a couple hundred years. Uh, of, we've only been a nation for a couple hundred years. Fourth of July is ingrained in our mind. So let's just say that by now, this the Feast of Pentecost, as a recollection or a commemoration of the Sinai event, is almost second nature in their minds. So they, here we have, that's the, sorry, that was the first five words, all right? So, or the, when the day of Pentecost had come, okay, so that day had come, and they, who's they? This, this is the, the church. They were all together in one place. I, I have said it before, I'll say it again, because it's relatively fun. Every single person, Study Bible commentary that you read will say they mean the 120. I have no idea why they say that. There was 120 people at the business meeting. We all know more people go to the business meeting than show up at their prayer meeting. What I'm saying is we actually don't know if there were more than 120 or less than 120. We know that Paul says at one time 500 people watched Jesus ascend. So there, there could have been a whole, this was a houseful. That's all, what we really know is there was, we know there was at least 120 believers that were really committed to this thing. But at, on the day of Pentecost, however many, they were all together in one place. Now that's super exciting. Ooh, look at me. I've already gone ahead of my own notes. They were all together in one place. Can we just say that out loud together? Because I think that's important. Let's say it. They were all together in one place. They were together. I do not believe that that is insignificant, especially in this inaugural episode. God could have met them individually. We it could have been a neat story. We could imagine the story. Oh, look, Sister Mary was out buying bread, and something happened, and Peter, Paul, and John were doing something else down on a sailboat, and something happened to them, and they all came back and said, wow, that happened to you too. Well, isn't that neat? I mean, it could have been a neat story that way, but this is the way it happened. God, now, they had. we'll talk about what, why they were together, but this experience happened to everyone as they were all together. This is something... For everyone. And them receiving it together has meaning for it, us because of the way this, the, that Luke described this. The way that we see this happening then is they were all together. We, we know already, we've read it, this happened to every single one of them. In other words, this experience of spirit baptism, no one was left out. Maybe that's not as significant for them. It might have met their expectations. But 2,000 years later, with enough bad teaching and bad experience, there's a whole lot of contemporary believers that think it's their, it's God has called them to be left out. Or perhaps they're not good enough or haven't checked off enough marks or their resume doesn't match up. That somehow this is for some but not for others. But I want to be clear that this immediately beginning, there's absolutely no prerequisite. The only prerequisite was that they had to be in the same place. Now, we assume they all had faith in Christ because they were, but that doesn't even, some of them might have still, you know, I don't know, like to dance still or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? They're, 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 some of them might have been a little bit less, you know, whatever. But they were all together. They believed on the Lord Jesus. They, hadn't, they had zero paperwork on correct Christology. A lot of them didn't know what the end from up. They just knew Jesus, good, believe him, good. Rose from the dead, good enough. That's as about as some of them as far as they had. But they were all together. And no one was left out. Would you say no one left out? It's no so important. It's so important. Nobody left out. And this also, this also signal really theologically when we reflect. Remember, theology is a reflection on experience. So when we reflect, reflect on their experience, we see that, that, that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is, is supposed to be an, a recognition that we are a body together. 
We, we are the body of Christ. We are, this is a shared experience. Pentecost originally was meant to unite the church. Many people will take it further. Um, it's an interesting, it's in, it's an interesting uh, extrapolation, and I, and I think it's what it is. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's in, it's it's, it's part of the original intent of the, of the of the letter. But it's a it's a fair extrapolation to say that human, in human history, after the Tower of Babel, in man's rebellion, man was altogether in one place, and then their language was was confused, and they were scattered. Pentecost really symbolically is a reversal of that. We have people being brought together. Pentecost unites the church, and they all and everyone experiences the Spirit. Instead of the experiencing God at the time in a way of judgment, they experience the Spirit in a way of blessing. And no, they don't all speak English. <laughs> he doesn't all unite them. They all, they all, those people already all shared a common heart language. If they wanted to communicate, they could. But now they all began to speak in a spiritual language. And that really was something that united the church. Pentecost unites. It makes one church. What were they doing? When they were all together in one place, what were they doing? Well, yeah, there's a, we only have two, two pieces of information. Luke 114, or Luke 114, Acts, Luke, but Acts 114 says that they, they were devoting themselves to prayer. And Jesus told them in Acts 1-4, wait. So this is what was happening. They were told to wait, so they were waiting, and that waiting took on the form of just praying together. They were praying, they were devoting themselves to prayer, and together waiting in anticipation of this promise. Well, that's, on one hand, that's really good instruction for us. I, I agree that prophetically and in biblical theology, we are not waiting around, so to speak, for this promise because it has been given. But the posture of waiting is still very appropriate. The posture of, of yielding and waiting upon the Lord is still the appropriate posture when we are saying, Lord, we, are, we, we want more or we want to be filled even again with your spirit. Uh, to, to, the, to receive the spirit, the appropriate posture is waiting. And the appropriate activity is prayer. It just is. It's never, I don't think it's ever really changed. So they're, they're devoting themselves to prayer and they're waiting. All right, verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Because I'm sure I don't mention it, I want us to hear that it only filled part of the house. No, once again, we, we should be picking up what Luke is laying down by this point. Okay, they were all together in one place. They hear, we're talking about the sound, but the sound, even the sound, fills the whole house. The whole house is filled. Yes, that, that speaks of God's magnitude, His glory, and supremacy, but it also says... No one's left out. No one's left out. This fills the whole room. You can't even hide. If you were using the bathroom, you were in the house. <laughs> and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Like, it was a sound like a violent rushing wind. I want us to just notice careful. It was the sound of a wind, not necessarily the, 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 the felt or the feeling of a wind that blew. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like the sci-fi or, a, you know, some sort of a, a special effects thing where you should see people in there praying and all of a sudden everyone's hair gets blown back. And, uh, while that's, that's kind of cool, uh, and, I, and I welcome that as a phenomena, I don't think that's what we're hearing. What, what happens is they're together and they, it's actually more miraculous because they, it's, think about it, they hear a sound and they know that that is a sound of a violent wind, but everybody's hair's still in place. <laughs> I mean, what I'm saying is that, that that's a miracle. Like, wait, wait a minute. They're... In other words, if they were all together and all of a sudden a wind blew through the house, someone might say, well, golly, that was a, that was a strong Mediterranean breeze right there. But they, it wasn't a strong Mediterranean breeze because everything, there was no wind, but they heard a, a sound of a violent torrential 
blowing. Wow. And, it's, and it says, the sound came from heaven. So what was coming to them was coming from heaven. What was coming to them, this was from heaven. That's enough for us to get our old-timey shout on. This is, was from heaven. This is, a, this is heaven coming. Holy, my Uncle Larry would say, Holy Ghost come down. But this is heaven coming down. And they could hear it. Wow. And they knew what they were hearing when, they, when these good Jewish people, even though some of them were Hellenistic yet, in other words, but these, these were mostly, in that room at least, mostly still Palestinian uh, uh, Jewish people. They knew what they heard. They, when they heard wind, they knew that that had meaning. Because the old te- in, the, in, the, in their, we say Old Testament, but in their scripture, wind, the word, even the word wind, ruach, is, that's not their word for spirit, that's their word for breath. And when the ruach came, it was, it always represented in, the, in their scriptures two things. It was divine aid. It was something from heaven that was helping them. It was, a, it was something miraculous on their way, as well as it was an actual impartation of life. It was life and power coming. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 19, it was the Ruach that blew upon the Red Sea and blew those waters open for them to pass through. In Numbers chapter 11 and verse 31, it is the Ruach that, that, that miraculously blows in a supply of quail to feed the people of God. In his, and in Ezekiel 37, it is the Ruach that is prophesied to come flow into that valley of dry bones and bring them to life. And all, those are just some examples of the wind. And they heard that wind coming from heaven upon them. They knew that something from heaven was coming. So it's not over yet. Verse 3, and there appeared to them Tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Was anyone left out? Luke is really hitting it on the nose for us at this point. Each one of them. I'm sure I have it in my notes, so I won't get too carried away on that, and I'll come back. First of all, tongues of fire. Fire, literally fire that came in the room and then divided itself. Now, I probably should have started with fire, but let me start with tongues of fire. That's literally what it says, tongues of fire, glossa, like like wagging tongues of fire that landed and rested upon them. One commentator said entered them, and while I think that's cool, it, it just means rested, sat on them. Not they were they don't whatever if you ever seen a picture with the, with them a bunch with a bunch of halos that's not what happened these weren't halos this is fire if I was in if I was in a different Pentecostal church somebody would have shouted and if I would have said that was those weren't halos that was fire somebody would have I would have got an organ and a shout and a hanky okay Fire came and, dis- and, it, and it, dis- it, it divided and landed upon them. Now, here's the thing. When we search for the locust classicus for things, we, you, won't, it's, you won't find tongues. <laughs> oh, Facebook world. You won't find tongues of fire in the Hebrew Old Testament. Now, you'll find fire, and we'll get to that in a minute. We'll do just fine. But you know what's fascinating? I'm going to tell you a little secret, a little weird thing. I'm going to tell you. Well, you haven't given me permission. I'm going to tell you. Anyway. There's, this, there's this apocryphal book that, that, has, that actually was, is, is so significant that a great deal of its language is, 
uh, used in the New Testament. Again, I'm not saying it's inspired, but it's definitely influential. Definitely influential. Its, it's language is used in the New Testament as if all the immediate audience of the New Testament was aware of this book. This book is called First Enoch. And if you read through First Enoch, that crazy dude has some visions. And, that cra- and you know what he sees in his visions? He goes up into the heavens. You know what he sees, Bill? He sees tongues of fire. He says, I wandered up into heaven, and then he says, I saw tongues of fire. And I looked at that, and I marked it, and I emailed my professor. I said, what the beans? Which is my usual thing, like, what am I, what's going on here? I can't explain it. But this is, Enoch, the first Enoch is written way before Luke's writing. So Luke is aware of, if, if either Luke is aware of first Enoch, or maybe he's not. And if he's not, then that's double wackadoodle mupasakul. Because... <laughs> That, that means two different people are seeing something, and there's something in the spiritual realm that has to do with fire and these tongues of fire and these individual expressions of the Spirit of God. I don't have any more than that for you. That's all. But that's fascinating. I don't have a therefore. I just have a, there you go. <laughs> oh, that was funny, too. Oh, man, that's funny. That is funny. <laughs> but fire we do know. Fire is then the fire we got. Fire, the, specifically, we already talked about this. Fire in the, in the, in, in the, in the Hebrew Bible is absolutely, uh, there's lots of expressions of it, but in this context, especially Pentecost and the day of Pentecost, fire is absolutely here symbolic of the glorious presence of the Lord. In fact, it might be more than symbolic. It could actually be the literal expression of the glorious presence of the Lord. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 18, when we're talking about that Sinai event. Listen to, remember Luke saying, and fire came, descended, and landed. Listen, listen to the rhythm, Exodus 19, 18. Now, Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. The Lord came down in fire. I'll say it again. In, in, in Exodus, the people are standing around and Yahweh comes down in fire. In Acts 2, the church is together and Yahweh comes back down in fire. This is, this is, there, there's no other way. You can't think, oh, that's something else. No, this fire, this is, they, they, they looked around, they said, my God, it's God. You're playing the organ over there, aren't you? All three of you guys are trying to play a Hammond organ. I'll take care of the Hammond organ. Oh, I see you're doing levels of it. I see, I see. We're musicians, we know how to do it. The Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. We've already Now, we don't have time today. We could jump over to chapter 4 real quick and think, hey, that happened again. And the place where they were meeting was shaken. All of that is a theophany. All of that is a reminder that this is God, very God. This is not God, junior, varsity, bronze, medal. This is God, the Holy Ghost. The same Holy Ghost fall down on Mount Sinai, shake the place, fire go everywhere. That's, That's the same God fills that upper room. That's the same God that fills you. That's why Pentecost should make us go, ah! It should make us shout for joy and really afraid. And that's why Pentecostals live holy. They, don't, they know that I, God is here. I don't got time to talk about that. The fire rested on, sat, sat on them. God sat on them. What? He rested upon them. Oh, Jesus, the dove, he comes like a gentle dove. Float, float down, dove rested upon Jesus. But Jesus said, not you, boys. I got something else for you. It's the truth. Remaining on them, resting on them. And who? Each of them. Each of them, not just David, not just Moses, not just Big Shot, not just Bill, not just Jim, 
I know you say, oh, we get it, oh, amen, you smug little amen. But right now in this room, people are still thinking the Holy Ghost is on Jay and maybe on Jim and nobody else, or maybe on Judy, but then nobody else get up. Nobody else good enough. Stop it. Stop that. Pentecost changed it all. Now, here's why. Listen, careful, it's not a reward for how awesome you are. No, no. Pentecost is not a reward for you being awesome. Don't say, oh, I got to puff your chest out and tell me you were baptized in the Holy Spirit in 190 something letter. I don't care. Uh, all I'm going to do is say, well, praise the Lord. Jesus, look what Jesus paid for. Look what Jesus, oh, he, Jesus is, oh, the, oh heaven, the, the Heavenly Father is honoring the sacrifice and exaltation of Jesus by giving you the Spirit. That's exactly what's happening. The reason why you can have confidence that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you is because Jesus paid for it, prayed for it, and poured it out. This is, this, is to glo- this is to give glory and honor to Jesus. That should thrill your soul. That should give you confidence and hope that every single, every single drop, every ounce of Pentecost is absolutely for you because God would no sooner hold something back from you than dishonor His Son. To hold it back would be to say, my son was not enough. To pour it out is the father saying, my son was more than enough. No one left out. Everyone included. At this, all of them shared the same flame. Same fire on you, same fire on me. You know what that means? You know what that means? That means same Holy Ghost on Peter. Same Holy Ghost on me. Same Holy Ghost on Peter. Walk around, spit, walk shadows. Same Holy Ghost on me. Same Holy Ghost on John. Same Holy Ghost on you. Same Holy Ghost. Wow. I told you, this is Sunday night church, very casual teaching time. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh. Same Holy Ghost. Same Holy Ghost on Peter. Same Holy Ghost on Mark. Same Holy Ghost on John. Same Holy Ghost on you. Same, 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 same. You didn't earn it. You can't deserve it. All you can do is receive it, and you do so in honor of the Lord Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. Nobody left out. Everybody included. We are the witness that Jesus is alive and that he's coming again.
failure. Those phenomena that we read are meant to signal the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the glorious presence of God Himself. He has come. He has come. He has come. That doesn't mean that everybody already received him, but he's come. He is, he's, he is here. He is here. Now, those particular phenomena, sound of the wind, appearance of fire, they are not recorded again in the book of Acts. No epistolary literature had any interest in dealing with it. They make reference to what we call signs and wonders, which really kicks open the door for just about almost anything. Especially Paul's language when he reminds the churches, the language that Paul uses when he addresses Corinthians and the Galatian church, when he says, y'all remember what happened. He doesn't write it down, but the way he says it sounds like something happened. Like in, in Corinthians, my, my preaching was in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. Meaning that the Holy Spirit himself showed up. And they said, oh, this is new. He's something, someone is here. And in Galatians 3, he said, you remember, did you receive the Spirit? He, he reminded them of their, their receiving of the Spirit. It was real. It wasn't a doctrinal, uh, they didn't like agree to a concept, they experienced a reality. He has come. He is available. And again, while those particular phenomena are not described, they aren't prescribed. In other words, we don't, and this is this important because there are folks that say, well, uh, if you want the, the baptism or you want that, how come you don't see the wind and the fire again? We don't see it again. It's not prescribed. It's not proscribed. It's not prohibited. It certainly isn't prohibited, but it's not required. And it's not described again. Signs and wonders, all kinds of things have happened all throughout the years. The door's wide open. But these particular phenomena don't become the primary means by which they then uh, gained a sense of assurance of this gift. That's the next one. That's verse 4. We haven't even finished the book yet. There's only four verses. And they, oh, no. Hang on. Sorry. I, and they were all, all right, hang on a minute. Look here. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent wind, and it filled the whole, everybody say filled. Filled the whole house. Kill everybody. It filled the whole house. Then there appeared to them tongues of fire. God descended in fire upon them and rested on each of them. Now verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What? They were all filled with with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. They were all filled. Would you all say the word filled? Just like the house was filled with wind and sound, they were all filled with the Spirit. This was a new thing. They weren't just anointed. The Spirit of God did not just epirkamai, just come upon them for a moment or for a certain cause. They were all filled. They this is, this is playru. This means to be crammed full. Their whole persons became saturated with the divine presence. 
Now, if that sounds too much, that's because you, you've undersold this. You've mismeasured this. And by mismeasuring it, you'll underlive it. You will live below it unless you measure it right. You are, they were filled with God. And they didn't become God. Simmer down. You know I don't mean that. But they were filled with the Spirit. Filled. Saturated. Influenced. Governed. And blessed. This, like the Sinai event, became the new governing, guiding, blessing, influence in their life. But it was not an external thing written on stone. It was an internal thing by the Spirit Himself living inside them. It would be a, instead of a, something that lived from the outside in the end, it was a force, a life, a power that lived in them. Filled. And yet these and many others, they would be filled. And then after that, they would be filled. And then after that, they would be filled again. Filled became a way of life, a way of living. They were, and not only filled, they were all filled. All of them. All filled. No one left out. No one received. No one, come on. You know how sometimes you fill up an ice tray and some of the, the things are, you miss them? That didn't happen. It wasn't like, oh, some the guy, this ice tray, you know, got, oh, you know how you get some of that overflow? Mom used to have those. We got the automatic thing now. But, you know, this, you get, oh, no, it's on one side of the tray. They all overflow. And so it comes out in the block of six. And over here you got this one little feller that's about half, half pint. He got no ice in him. That's not the way it happened. It's not the way. They were all filled. Everybody got the same Holy Ghost. I mean, think about it. They all the same fire on you, same fire on me. Same, listen, same, that's crazy. Because it's so contrary to our personalities and so contrary to the paperbacks and everything else. And if you really want to be like me, you got to do Niner. Listen, no, that means the same, I don't know how to say this the right way, but this is what the Bible says. That means the same amount of the Holy Ghost on him as on me. Same. Oh, I couldn't, you know, I can't be like. So and so, because they got horse radish. <laughs> Same Holy Ghost, and I, and, I, and maybe that doesn't tweak your tweak your boat much. But when we compare one much another, but I means that means this: if all filled, that means I, that means Peter does not have more Holy Ghost than me. Wow! That means that that's good news. Same Holy Ghost on Peter, same Holy Ghost on me. Same Holy Ghost in Peter, same Holy Ghost in me. Wow. All filled. And again, not based on anybody's worth, not based on anyone's effort, not based on anyone saying the right prayer, standing the right way, folding their hands the right way, flexing their face the right way. All of it based upon the work of Christ. None of it performance. All of it promise. This is his idea. And they all began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Gave them the ability to speak. This is interesting for people to understand in a way that might be helpful or somewhat corrective. And listen, they began to speak with tongues. That's a spiritual language. Because they were given the ability to do so. They were not forced to. A lot of people interpret Pentecost like, well, I'm going to stand there and let some wild ecstatic thing come over me. I'm going to be, no, that's called, well, I was going to say possessed, but I don't mind using that word about the Holy Ghost either. But uh, the Holy Ghost doesn't, 
doesn't do that. He doesn't possess you and turn you into a freak. I mean, look, I'm not going to say that some things wild don't happen. That's fine. But he gave them the ability, even in this marvelous, powerful gift, the Lord still, the Lord still, the Lord still honors our will. He still does. He won't take it. He won't take it away. I know many people say, oh, man, the Holy Ghost came on me, and I couldn't help it. I just began to speak in tongues. You know what they mean is they didn't want to help it. That's what they mean. They meant they sensed an impulse, and they immediately surrendered. They no more resisted like they would resist a breath, a breath of air when they were suffocating. Or they would turn down a drink of water when they're parched. When they say, I just couldn't help it, what they mean is, I chose not to help it. I didn't even, I received without resistance. And that's the way to do it. To receive without resistance, without debate. Oh, stop, debate. Well, I don't want to deserve it. Stop resisting and just receive. They weren't forced to speak. We always used to tell people, though, God's not going to, he's not, you're not a puppet. He's not going to jam his hand in your backside and make you talk like this. No, no, but he will give you, you will have a, a divine capacity to express yourself prophetically that you did not have before. And he will give you that capacity should you choose to exercise it. It's given, not forced. Well, I'm standing here and standing here and wait. Well, okay. But I don't know how else to say it. But here's what I'll, I was going to tell you this later. But here's the, here's the deal. I mean, I don't know. When I was 11 years old, Royal Ranger guy, red hat. You know, some of you know, Royal Ranger guy, red hat, sat me down by the fire. And he said, he said, you want to be baptized in the spirit? I said, okay. He said, okay, I'm, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I'm going to put my hand on your head. And when I do, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you're going to speak with new tongues. I said, okay. And he said, and he prayed, and he said, one, two, three, and then I did. He said, oh, that's a formula? No, that's just faith. I just said, okay. I received without resisting. And he, he fortunately, that Royal Ranger leader was smart enough to tell me, now, listen, you might hear a voice that says this is phony. Ignore that. Just trust God and just go for it. He didn't tell me, come get tongues. He t- I knew. See, the, I had a little bit of advantage because I grew up around over there in tongues, right? I'd sit in church next to crazy one over there, and she got the Holy Ghost all the time. So I knew, I knew what tongues was. I wasn't afraid of it. But I had never done it. How many of you think I was talking about my mom or my dad? Which one do you think? <laughs> no, dad was on the platform. You know who I was sitting next to. Yeah, yeah. I get that. No, anyway. No, I'm thankful. That's why we prayed in the spirit around our kids all the time when they're growing up, so they just get used to it. Yeah. Yeah, I would tell my, I tell people, people say, oh, can we put the kids to bed? I said, yeah, but you've got to pray in tongues. So they get used to it. So they're not afraid of that. Emily thought it was Spanish. <laughs> she did. She said, Dad, speak in Spanish. <laughs> and now when I try to speak in Spanish, she doesn't appreciate it. I don't know why. I say, give me my El Cueso. And I, I mean my keys. Cueso. I'm good at the Spanish. <laughs> Your dad offending everybody on Facebook. Uh, this, this is the phenomenon. Not the others, but this is the phenomenon that is repeated in the book of Acts. This is the phenomenon that gave them the, the first thing. <laughs> this is much longer than I anticipated tonight. Uh, but this is the phenomenon that gave them a sense of assurance that the, the, they had experienced something. It was an assurance of an experience. Now, it's been called a lot of things, but I have found that people get really uptight anymore when we say initial physical evidence. Well, it's not the evidence. We didn't say it was the evidence. We said it was initial, beginning, physical, something tangible evidence. Okay, you don't like that? Uh, 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 it was an assurance of an experience. <laughs> okay, that's all we're trying to say. Not, well, uh, uh, simmer down. And I say simmer down because I, d- dozens of people every year got to talk them through all this, talk them off a cliff. Off, you know. <laughs> yeah, easy, I say, easy. No, I say, I'll stop what I mean. Easy. 
that gave them an assurance. It was their initial aha that something had happened. And then when others did the same thing, they said, aha, you have had the same experience we did. But we should not confuse an assurance of an experience with being ongoingly filled. No, no, you say, wait a minute. No, 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 no. When we are filled with the Spirit, we should expect expression. That expression biblically will be a prophetic language that we call tongues. You should expect that. You should happen. But I'll tell you this. Ten years later, you can still speak in the tongues and not live filled. Not live filled. You've been baptized. You have the ability to volitionally express yourself in a spiritual language, but you also have the ability to walk disobediently, hard-hearted, resisting the Spirit, disobeying the Word. That's not living filled. Being filled is relational. It is obedient. It is soft. It is staying subject to the blessing. Being filled, using this gift is a way that you can maintain or cultivate or develop that filledness in your life. But but Pentecostals should be careful and not say, well, yeah, I spoke in tongues 24 years ago. I got it all. Well, you got it, but what you got was the opportunity to live it. Yieldedness. It, is a, and it was an assurance of an experience. And this expression was primarily that we see in the book of Acts, a language of prayer and praise. And as much as we understand it in Acts in particular, it is Godward speech. In Acts, nobody talked to each other in tongues. They talked to God. And that's why it was perfectly acceptable for everybody to do it. Even in a meeting. Hey, let's all just talk to God. Anybody got offended and worried and stepped out, stomped out? They, in fact, they couldn't stop. They, once, it caught, once the fire caught on, they just let the smoke rise. That's the direction of glossolalia. Properly, doctrinally, properly, the, 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 the premier expression is Godward. There are times in interpretation where, it can be, where there can be beneficial, it's horizontal. But primarily, it's Godward. And I really believe that if the church would recapture that, would recapture that exercise of just joining in corporate, yielded, letting, let light the fire, let the smoke rise, I think you see some powerful things. I've seen it. I've seen it around the world. People around the world are all hung up. They didn't read their, you know, what's that fellow's name? What's that guy's name I get all upset with? That guy with the big pulpit and the book that I, anyway, I'm glad I don't remember because I don't want to offend anybody. But, uh, but, you know, they didn't read some of these guys to tell them not to do that. That's bad. They figured out it was good a long time ago. And I really believe that it would be a, a fantastic exercise. I mean, I would, I've even, shh, don't tell anybody, don't tell Facebook. I've thought about, man, wouldn't it be great? Is this just part of our regular, even our Sunday morning gatherings? We, we, we did like Paul, even though it's not what he meant, but we could extrapolate that we sang with our understanding, and then we stopped, and we intentionally just sang in the Spirit. All right, let's just do that. Now it's time to sing in the Spirit. Let's just do that. We don't have to wait for the right organ sound or a minor, E minor. Just do it. I don't know if E minor is a good key for that or not, Lurley, but I, I just... It's not the prescription. Glossolalia is not the prescribed of it. It's not forced. You won't write, you won't, you will not read in the book of Acts, thou must speaketh in tongues. You won't read it. But it is the described consistent phenomena. The prescription in Acts is receive the Spirit, receive the Spirit, receive the Spirit. This is a relational goal. And then power is an expectation. But all of this is expressed initially. In language. It is a language of the Spirit. It is prophetic in nature. It is why when Peter stood up to explain to the crowd what was happening, he just called it prophecy. Acts 2.17. And I will pour out my Spirit in these last days, and they shall prophesy. He's saying what you're hearing is the fulfillment of that they shall prophesy. It is spiritual language. Do this with me, if you will, if you'd like to. Put your hands somewhere around here. I will just say this. We've already said that it that functions as assurance, but that's just initially. 
There's an assurance aspect to speaking in tongues. But here's the deal. When we pray, when we pray in the Spirit, remember, it's di- the, what's the direction? Godward, right? I, li- I, want, I, I would encourage you. Again, this is my extrapolation. This is Dr. Dav saying this, so you can take it or leave it. But it is literally, I am speaking from here to there. And I think it's important. I would encourage you to consider that carefully because we know because Paul, because we, we, we take it, we, we get messed up because Paul said, when I speak in tongues, my mind is unfruitful. He literally, what he's saying is my mind is not creating. He is not producing those things. But the mind is not dead. In fact, you, maybe you've seen it. They've measured now people speaking in tongues and measured the brain. And, the, and the, whole, the whole brain is on fire and doing things that a normal brain wouldn't do. The brain is healing itself and functioning in, in miraculous ways. The brain's not, you're not going brain dead when you're praying in tongues. But your brain is not producing the sound. It's a super, something supernatural is happening. You're praying from here on purpose because you decided to. Here's something that we've done at our house. We've done, I told you we pray with our kids. But here's something that I, we've done even recently. I've just said out loud just, just to try to be instructive and for my own self. So I'm so like, you know, every night I pray with Ben, talking with Ben, pray with Ben, and I'll, we'll pray with our understanding, and, and I'll, then I'll say, and, and Lord, and forgive me, I don't have Bible for this necessarily, I could build it, but I say, and now Lord, I'm going to talk to you in your own language so you hear me. He said, well, didn't hear you before? Yeah, but Romans 8 says, when I don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays, and he prays exactly the will of God, right? He makes intercession for me. So say, uh, now, Lord, and so then I, don't, then I don't just forgive me, but some Pentecostals, they just rattle off in tongues, and it's like, like they're not even paying attention because their mind is unfruitful. They just rattle off. That's fine. That's still tongues. But I would encourage you to think about the fact that pray on purpose, like you're really talking to God from your deepest person. So I pray like that. Is it okay if I do? So I'll pray. I'll put my hands, and I'll just, and I'll get, and I'll be, and I'll, this instructionally, and I would, I would encourage you to do this. I, be, I feel what I want. I feel what I'm desiring. I feel it, and then I give expression to that. I can feel this just reaching up there. It's a Godward expression. Pulling on something. So if you've never, you want, if you're going to pray tonight, you say, I've never prayed in tongues. All right, well, here's what I want you to do. Don't think about being brain dead. Don't think about just standing there with duct tape around your mouth waiting for God to jam his hand down your throat and make you a puppet, okay? But instead, come willingly, volitionally, softly before the Lord. Open up your heart, open your mouth, and worship him, talk to him, but then begin to think, Lord, I thank you that your, the promise of your spirit is an absolute guarantee in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for that, and I'm just going to talk to you from right here. I'm going to talk to you from right here. And then just let things come out. Don't worry. Your, brain's not, your brain can't understand it. It's not going to. don't need to. No, 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 no. Your brain's unfruitful. It's not creating that sound. And it's not, nor is it understanding it. But it's alive. And I'll just say that it's because of so much disappointment, bad doctrine, etc. Sometimes it's just necessary in the 21st century to say, yeah, we're going to pray, we're going to lay hands on you, and then I'm going to count to three, and then when I do, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then I just want you to speak in a new tongue. We'll say, I don't know one. I'll just do it anyway. Not, don't, we're not making it up. Don't make up. I'm not talking about imitating certain babbly words. They did that a long time ago. That was dumb. I'm talking about just let it out. Just let that thing come out. I'm not seeking tongues, but I know I have the Spirit, and I expect that assurance to come flowing out. And if nothing, you know, and that's and it, sometimes it's a matter of waiting, and that's just enjoying God. That's fine, but that's a good thing. It's a language from here. Oh, good. I wanted to be done. Do you have to speak in tongues? No. Should you? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody can. Everybody that ever has is glad they did. It's assurance, and it's exercise. It is ex- an expression of being filled. So our prayer tonight is this. Lord, fall on us, fill us, flow out of us.